Today's podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Expert Institute. If you handle cases involving lots of experts, I encourage you to talk to the Expert Institute. Let me give you an example of how that works for us at our firm. Let's say we need an expert for a case, say an expert in neurointensive care. In the old days, I would search my files for experts I'd used in the past, or maybe reach out to my colleagues at my firm or on a listserv for suggestions. Then our office would have to track these folks down, and perhaps the first person or two we contacted wouldn't work out and we'd go back to the drawing board. It takes time and resources. It can be inefficient and doesn't always land you with the best expert for your case. What do I do now? I simply send one email to my contact at the Expert Institute. We then have a brief call where I explain what I'm looking for, and they do all the work after that. And they don't just recycle the same old tired experts. Every search is unique and independently tailored for my case. It's tailored by the specialty of the expert, by geographic location, if I have a preference, and even by the amount of litigation experience that the person has. If I want somebody who's never testified in a case before, they will find me that person. And if I ask them to do so, they will locate several potential experts for a case and then set up all the phone calls for me so that I can interview those candidates and decide who will be the best fit for my case. It's faster, it's more efficient, and it produces better results. For our listeners only, Expert Institute is offering 25% off your first expert case consult. Go to expertinstitute.com forward slash elevate, E-L-A-W-V-A-T-E, to redeem this exclusive discount. This is the Elevate Podcast, where trial lawyers learn, share, and grow. Let's talk about how we can elevate our trial practices, law firms, and lives. And now, here are your hosts, coming to you from coast to coast, trial lawyers, Ben Gideon and Rahul Ravipudi. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm Ben Gideon. And I'm Rahul Ravipudi. So, Raul, we've got a, a really exciting guest on our show today. We've got Don Keenan. Before we launch into our uh, show and interview with Don, uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity to brag about your son's accomplishments over the, the weekend. Well, now that we're, uh, thanks for that, Ben, by the way. Now that we're out of the pandemic, uh, baseball season has started and my 12-year-old went up to bat on Saturday in a tournament and belted out his first home run and it was uh i was lucky enough to actually catch it on video and we've had it on repeat for the last uh 36 48 hours now it's been awesome oh congrats that's so sorry if i sound a little groggy that's all i've been doing is watching that <laughs> that's fantastic so uh i, I kn- i've gotten to know don keenan over the years raul uh, i understand you may not have met before or haven't spent much time with him? No, I don't think we have. I mean, I've only I've only gotten to follow Don, and so this is an absolute pleasure to get to meet you, Don. So you're in for a real treat, and I, I just want to introduce you for a second and um, tell our listeners that you're, you're somebody who means a, a lot to me. I consider to be, you to be a friend and also a great mentor to me, and personally in my career, it's meant a lot to me to get to know you, to learn from you. You've had a ton of amazing accomplishments as a lawyer, great verdicts. I think you have something like 381 verdicts and settlements of over a million dollars. But the thing that I, I find most amazing about you is how much you've given back to the lawyers and the legal community through sharing and also constant effort to learn. 
you'd think maybe someone who's had as much success as you have would have stopped trying to learn new things by now. Um, but you don't. You're always constantly learning and growing as a lawyer. So uh, I just want to thank you so much for everything you've done for me and, and for the legal community. And welcome. Well, thanks, Ben. It's such a pleasure to enter or work with, have somebody of your caliber watching your back. I mean, you know, come on, don't get no better than that, okay? So I appreciate all that, but I'm the selfish one. I'm the one that's sucking the bone marrow out of this relationship. You may think you are, but uh-uh. So tell us where, where you are. I know uh, you had have a home in um, Florida, and I think you recently relocated, and I haven't uh, visited your new place, but where, where, are you lo- where are you coming to us from today? Well, it's it's actually about two and a half miles away from the old house, but it's over some bayous and some streams and some. But it's it's really nice. It it really is. Well, I'm looking forward to my invitation. Well, it's an open invitation. Get on the bus, Jack. All right, we'll be there. We'll be there. So I want to I want to go back and go back kind of the start. You talk a lot. I've heard you speak about early impressions or imprints that have, uh, I think that's something that you define as something that has a formative influence on people. It helps to develop their character and affects their thought process and decision-making throughout their life. And I've heard you talk about it in the context of juries, but I'm interested in hearing from you. What, what were the imprints on you in your formative early years that drove you to be a trial lawyer and to have the kind of successful career as a trial lawyer that you've had? I'm not done yet. You know, I'm, I'm still, I got, I got me another 25, 30 years to go. So, you know, no, I'd, I'd love to be back and back in a courtroom somewhere with you. But the answer to your question is um, the reptile, which completely evolved into a much bigger playing field called the edge, still is grounded quite a bit. Uh, on two people. One is Rapai, who is the sociologist who uses it for for advertising purposes. And then my all-time favorite, although he never used the word evolution or reptile or the edge, is uh, Dale Carnegie. Because, I mean, if you get the simple-ass concept, if you are trying to persuade, if you're trying to sell, which is, I think, not a good word for what we do, then it's not about you. It's not about what you want. You know, a successful seller knows exactly what his customer wants and damn gives it to him. And boy, do I find that that is a, a huge, huge failure on uh, many, many cases. I, I was consulting with a lawyer yesterday on that very thing. And of course, we know, I'm hot, I'm hot podging around here, but we know in 12 years of intense focus groups all over this country, this is pre-COVID, this is after COVID, we can come to the undeniable conclusion, Bubba don't give a shit about your client. Sorry. Uh, and in choosing between them and your client, yeah, guess who's getting that call? And corporate America has done such a great job of uh, convincing Bubba that a plaintiff's verdict, they're going to have to pay for it. They're going to be hurt by it. And nobody wants to do anything that's self-injurious or whatever that have to go to somebody from Yale, figure out if I, did I pronounce that right? That was close enough. We know what you mean. Give me a Southern discount, okay? But that's it in a nutshell. But the problem with us is if we were defective before we went to law school, we are far more defective afterwards. 
Uh, and see, I, I just love it because my proof positive in this, and I think you participated in some of it, then, is uh, we'll do some focus groups. Our referring attorneys are some of the best lawyers in the country. And then we get, well, what, what is that focus group going to do? What's Jimmy going to do here? What's Mary Alice going to do? Okay, what are they going to do? So we have a huge chunk of um, who is this jury? What are they likely to do? And, you know, the proverbial angst of a trial lawyer predicting the vote. We do that. Been doing it for a long time, maybe 25 years. But let me just tell you, if you take the bellman, the banker, the candlestick maker versus a trial lawyer to look at the same video and say, okay, what do you think? Would you take that person or not? We're the worst. We are the absolute damn worst. Why? Because, hey, we don't live in their bubble, okay? Uh, Do you think I'm delusional enough to say everybody lives in a 14,000-square-foot home with four, no, six lanai's? I can't even remember how many you have. I can't. I can't. I mean, (laughs) so you think I'm delusional enough to think I've got the same pressures as my uh, jurors? I don't. I don't. I once did. I was poor once. No question. I don't want to go back. When you're working through um, framing your case so that you can present it in a way that the jury will latch on to your theories, are you looking for universal truths? Because sometimes you don't actually know who your jury's going to be and what prejudices they come with, whether they're what Republican, Democrat, uh, racist, hate your client, you know, gender discriminators, whatever, you know, or a mix of all of that, uh, along with all of the positive qualities that each human being may have. So how do you, how do you distill your case in a way where there's these universal truths that every juror will agree with. Well, let me start at the beginning, and that's deciding to take the case or not. We shock a lot of our referring lawyers when we come back and say, I think it's a good case, and, and we'll be able to hit the criteria on that. Oh, I'm shocked. Never thought you'd go for that. And at the same breath, they said, but this other case is even better. Why didn't you take it? Well, because we're looking at it from a different POV. If there are, for example a lie, betrayal, and hypocrisy screaming out like it was in Ben's case that we did together. Um, Can't talk much about it, but I sure can tell you, if it weren't for the lie and the betrayal, holy shit, uh, Bubba doing backflips to get over those. He don't care about that shit. When you got a doctor who betrays a patient, lies to him, you know, shit. There's no safe harbor for that kind of doctor. So I I probably touched on a number of things you were uh, inquiring about. But first is, I go to the mountaintop, the very beginning of the case. We had focus groups on Thursday. Tuesday, I'm sorry. All of those were what's called IF cases. We're trying to decide whether we're going to take them or not. Uh, And it could be that this is the third focus group we've done on a particular case because we're still not sure if we can take it or not. So we run it through that process, and then I go to the mountaintop, and I say, well, shit, I've seen every damn black hat bullshit argument, lies. They're getting a little better about it here lately, last couple of years. Okay, I'm going to pretend I'm getting paid $1,500 or $2,500 an hour, and I'm coming up with the in-game strategy, how to beat Papa Don. Now, mind you, he's doing that without seeing the client, without 
a flashback and all of the um, intricacies on the medical records and all that. He's not. But I can guarantee you that my assessment of what the hits are, I own a couple of them. He owns a couple of them. And I want to address the, I gotta, you know, I'm a words aficionado. Okay. Words mean everything. Maybe some of you may know this, but um, uh, the hero of linguistics and labeling is the evil genius Frank Lutz. Never works for us, but he did some beautiful labeling that did massive destruction uh, to this country even before the former president came in. But know this, none of the people in the know use the word framing because framing, you know, gives you this visual. doesn't give you this visual. And... When you're flowing out your major truths, if they're all proportional, then that works. But it don't work in the amoeba or however you want to call it. And if you want to have a little uh, ask a focus group, what should you what you should call it? Uh, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you in a heartbeat. So I want to. I don't want to let you squirm out of the first question I asked about your own imprints. I do know a little bit about you. I, I mean, I don't know much, but I do know that um, you had a military father, I believe. And you joined the Marine Corps uh, for some reason that I don't fully understand. And then I think you were raised primarily by your grandfather. Again, I don't recall exactly why, but he owned a store that you spent a lot of time in. And I just wonder if those combination of early experiences somehow translate into your trial lawyer drive in some fashion or what, what made you good at this job. Well, I don't think knowledge ever comes, you know, like that Coke bottle that hit the Aborigines on the head and he's trying to figure out what the hell is this Coke bottle. It trickles on you. It comes. Sometimes a wave, sometimes, you know, you can barely notice it. And so this is what I do. I um, don't push it. A lot of people that that see me for the first time in the courtroom are very uh, surprised that I'm not pushing and yanking and bitch slapping and everything. I'm very courteous to the uh, to the black hats, hoping that he's as nasty as he could be, so that the contrast goes in my uh, in my favor. But I prefer rather than framing for more use, just labeling. And see, that was the great skill of Frank Lutz. I didn't finish my friggin' thought here. Um, I mean, come on, he he labeled um, they were going to increase the tax on farmers after they died. Called that, labeled that the welfare tax. Uh, ultimately, when the Obamacare first came out, it was the death squad. Okay, and then they decided to leave it at Obama because that was that was toxic enough shit. And then here recently, we got to tax the one percent. We got to we got to get more money out of them. Well, Frank's out there working on it, saying uh, uh, those are job creators. Don't be hurting them. You know, he's just a genius, just a friggin' genius. But he's also a liar. Because I'll soon put out on the blog a excerpted, very detailed article on uh, how he plays in the shadows with focus groups. And, you know, you're going to see Frank conducting a live focus group on ABC or, or Fox. He does it all the damn time. But he's a liar. Read the article. It's just amazing how. And if, if you're crazy enough to be paying somebody to do your uh, focus groups and you've not put in the time to do them yourself, well, you're probably going to be throwing away money. 
I mean, I'm a trial lawyer. I'm a, I'm approaching my 68. I guess I got two more years to go before it's 50. And you have got to practice everything. It's like uh, OJ said. He said, I made it look too easy. Well, it ain't been easy for me. Vordire's a bitch. Uh, Vordire cross-examination is the most, in my opinion, important and difficult. Ah, isn't that a shocker? But getting back to um, to Brother Ben's question, I, I took a particular interest in the uh, Chicago group uh, because they had been beaten down by a series of god-awful bad judges, rulings, and bad jurors, and it just wasn't very pretty, okay? So I decided, and we had just lost another um, member to suicide, and I was really, come on, we got to start circling the wagons, we taking a uh, pulse from some of our people, particularly the sole practitioners that don't see anybody. They don't see anybody. But anyway, so I spent a little bit of time with this Chicago group, good group, good group. And they just, out of the blue, uh, started calling me Papa. I said, Papa, where the hell did you get that from? Well, that sort of describes your role with us. And I didn't tell them. I said, you know, that's probably the most endearing things you could say based on the fact that that was my um, grandfather's highest attribute. If I could only come halfway close to that, then uh, I'd be in good stead. Now, did that satisfy your question? <laughs> it was It was definitely a uh, interesting response. I associate you with kind of a tough guy approach, and I know that you were responding to that in some sense that you don't really come across that way uh, in a courtroom. Although people expect that of you, possibly because of your Marine Corps background. Is that where that comes from, do you think? That, and also, I played college football, and I played the line. And the only job description of somebody on the line is to knock the poor bastard down in front of you. Okay, that's it. Okay, <laughs> and you do that for four quarters. Well, you weren't quite, quite the player that Panish was, though, from what I understand. Who's that guy? <laughs> Well, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Panish was, I mean, I think um, there's a uh, Hall of Fame somewhere in uh, El Centro for uh, small universities. I think he's down. He's one one of three on the pedestal. Anyway, no, everybody gets their due on the field of athletic battle. But I pushed back from the label Papa, but then shit, I got to liking it. And then it started spreading. And uh, uh, so that's how I did it. That's how I did it. So the Reptile franchise, I think, became one of the most successful trial lawyer teaching or training programs probably in history. I don't, do you have a sense for how many lawyers over the years went through uh, one of the, the Reptile training sessions? Oh, yeah. I get those, I get those figures um, all the time, Ben. I know. Uh, We're talking five, ten plus thousand lawyers over the years. Or more. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, listen, we're like McDonald's. We keep the numbers, you know. Yeah. Uh, because we had, I'm not talking down, you know. It's it's like, you know, ugly women should have relationships too, you know. And with these other groups that want to put on something like uh, the Edge, I mean, I I, I call that the uh, height of um, fake news, you know. And and it's worse than fake news. It carries with it a half-truth. It sort of looks like it's true, but it ain't. And it can get you into a lot of trouble. And how, Ben, we've gone 11 years, uh, four with the reptile, 
the remainder with the edge, and not one single appellate court has touched it. Not once. Now, I mean, you'd think that some little bitty county somewhere in Iowa or something would condemn it as unconstitutional and immoral and all that, like all the motions say. Not a single one. And the war's been going on long enough. It's over. Okay, it is over. But I want to say this about the blog. You know, if you're not on the damn blog, get on the blog. It's free. Okay, you got to get vetted. But just uh, com. Every Friday, uh, a new blog comes out. It's been going on for 11 years, and it's exceptional in terms of the depth of, uh, of information you can get. It used to be I had to drag all them things to, uh, to trial. And so when I went to Chicago last year, I took an icon, for God's sake, you know, a little bit icon on my laptop. And I had complete access to over 1,700 pages of blog material and searchable in a friggin' nanosecond. And that's where we are. I mean, I think that technology today has given us the tools, if we use them, to far surpass the black cats. We're proud to have just brought out the Keenan Case presentation system, which, believe it or not, is in its second generation. First generation went for about 10 years and just friggin' died. And then we've taken this long to have to bring it back to uh, bring it back to use. And so we're really looking forward to uh, seeing how far that goes. But Ben, what else you got? What else you want to know? Well, I was interested, at, and I think some of our listeners probably know this, but how did, can you just tell us how the you came up with the reptile and then what its uh, evolution was from that? And at some point, it transformed from reptile to Keenan Trial Institute. And I uh, is that the same thing now, or is it, it a different um, a different thing for people who haven't been following along all these years? It is, the best way to put it, it it's an evolution by leaps and bounds. Uh, for, for example, if I could just give you one of the major differences. The reptile had, was always perceived by the defense as scaring the jury, okay? And they tried to get a lot of traction, but informing the courts. You got to base this on logic and you can't use emotion. And they're just trying to scare the jury. And if you couldn't argue it well, which virtually everybody could, then uh, you might have lost that that motion. But the fact of the matter is, after we saw all the bullet holes that we took through the first four years, we decided, well, shit, this isn't the direction that we wanted to go to begin with. And so when ball left, I then took the train we were on, veering off, and getting it back on the tracks. And that occurred about three years ago. So here's the fundamental difference. The reptile, you know, was based on rules, uh, other system failures, and other victims. That was it. In fact, if you want to go back and look at the first um, chapter in the reptile book, uh, it's in there, right there. Bent, 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 bent. Now, what happened after God knows how many trials, what was it, 11 billion in verdicts and settlements? And the most remarkable thing about uh, the verdicts and settlements is not the big ones. You know, I had um, a year and a half ago, I had two over $20 million settlements and one right below the lip. You know, it was, it was a great outcome, a lot of shit and work. But I can point to about 20 cases during 20 where there was some outstanding lawyering done on UIM cases, 
soft tissue cases on pure PTSD stuff. I mean, just some friggin', and I love it because I get to read and I say, who is this guy? Or who is this woman? Even better. And so that's what we're getting. We're getting um, lawyers who know coming in, oh shit, this is going to be hard. But I'm seeing some other people that aren't any smarter than me, you know, knocking down some good verdicts. I just have to have the gonads or the ovaries to stay in there, turn down those um, those offers, because it's awfully tough in these times to turn down anything. But here is the major difference. I told you what the three-legged stool was in the um, traditional reptile case. Let's see if this sounds familiar or it doesn't sound familiar at all. The first leg on the edge stool is foreseeability. The second stool is systems. And third is motive. So you can see they're, they're not even close to one another. And your liftoff power with the edge far exceeds even using everything under the, um, under the reptile. Now, here's, here's the thing to ponder for a minute. You know, CPAs, they have systems. Doctors, you know what happens? We sue them when they don't follow systems. What about airline pilots? You think they got a system to keep that plane up and bring it down? Hey, oh, yeah. They got these check-listable, definitive, trained, supervised soap. If all these professions are driven by systems, can we honestly say we have a system? Do we have a true system for opening? A true system for Vordire? Likewise. We just put out a book on direct exam with five separate clients in it, showing the different techniques to overcome the different um, obstacles. And so it worked. We've been through focus group with lawyers now going on six months, and they just, it's hard to imagine that a book like friggin' Direct Exam would have that kind of a following, but right now, even before it's been uh, super released. And I want to, I know I'm hopping around, but I'm hopping around because I know I've got, here's one thing that's just been phenomenal. I'm done claiming that I come up with stuff. I, I come up with stuff, but it's probably shit that other people brought up time and time and time again. And, um, you know, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about an entire trial that's all about you, Bubba. I know what you want. I know how to get it for you. I just need some heavy lifting from you when it gets down to it. You take those kind of Dale Carnegie kind of approaches, and you're talking, they're not going to turn you down. Sorry, they are not going to turn you down. Be mindful. When I'm talking about evolution, I'm talking about evolution on everything, because I soon will be coming out with my... 20 power words for 20, 21, I'm sorry. Shit, where am I here? Okay. And so I'm writing them down throughout the year. Is this a good one? Is that a good one? How am I going to use this? How am I going to use this? And I I usually do this. I get 10 or so more than I have room for. But this year I had 40 double. And so I'm looking at them, looking at all these these power words. Uh, Every single one of these Power words are COVID words. Every one of them. That was not by design. I mean, I didn't go to New York Times or the one register and say, whew, I got to come up with some. No, they just just fall. They fall. Uh, So Ben wants some uh, power words. So, Rogue, you're the director. You can stomp him like a bug. Is it okay for for me to address his um, question? I really want to hear these power words, too, so I will not squash that question. Well, you're not hearing all of them. You're hearing enough to get get your whistle wet, okay? 
but, a, but a couple of these now are trial tested, okay? So they're good. First word, essential. Now think about that pitiful word. Prior to COVID, essential was nothing. What did it become in COVID? Well, uh, Susie, are you an essential worker? I don't know. I don't know. Well, go on the web, see if you are, because if you're not, you can't go to work. You know, what about um, the movie theater? What do we, well, the government hasn't classified that as, as essential. You know, and then you got dichotomies like Florida. It's okay for a tattoo parlor to open, but not a beauty salon. Now, that makes some sense. That makes some sense. Okay. So later, and the essential thing came out last March, March before. Okay. And then we started having some more words coming along the way. And so I went back and retested. So essential not only is whether I can go to work, whether I can go to the library, where I can do whatever, it now becomes the guidepost whether you decide to go out or not. So we started here in in, uh, June, July, August. Well, ma'am, how do you decide whether you go into this restaurant or that social organization? I shouldn't have been surprised. She says, well, I sit down with Henry, my, my husband, And we decide whether this is essential or not. Is it essential for us to go to the Piggly Wiggly? Now, think about that some more. I've been advising in certain cases that you stick the word essential in the rules. It is essential that tractor-trailer drivers are qualified. It's essential that operating rooms are sterile environments, whatever, okay? And this word essential, man, there, there is nothing like a quasi-part essential. It's either essential or it ain't. Uh, another one I think that Ben likes, and that is, I don't know who the, the reporter was. might have been Leslie Stahl or something. And she is um, interviewing your president, like right in the heat of body bags. Not a, We don't have enough body bags. Well, she says, well, Mr. President, um, there are now... 300,000 people dead from the virus. What do you say to them? What do you say to them? Oh, this guy is my witness. He looked right in the camera and he says, it is what it is. You what? <laughs> you what? And I like to use it. In fact, um, Greg Luther in the case that we tried um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, the defendants comes in here that they're all weepy eyed and they feign Caring, they don't care. They're human vacuum cleaners. Wherever there is any emotion in this courtroom, <laughs> suck it up and suck it out. They can't have it. They cannot have it. So if I've not done my job and I've not given you the case on an unbiased, impartial tray, the tray of justice, then we don't deserve your verdict. We don't. So you can spin that into just any number of different situations. We're going to just take a brief break and a word from our sponsors. We'll be back in about 60 seconds with more of Don Keenan. Our episode today is being sponsored by Smart Advocate. I run a complex personal injury and medical malpractice law firm. It's highly document intensive with hundreds and thousands of clients and files. And we manage our entire practice using Smart Advocate. It's really great. And one thing that's great about it is it's completely customizable. It has robust reports and dashboards to track all of your case and firm operational details. And it makes my firm more efficient and more profitable. 
The system features tools such as intake scoring, work plans, automated procedures, a new case wizard, and lots of other features that help your team manage your cases as efficiently as possible. With a responsive support team, continual software releases, in fact, they just upgraded their cloud-based software, which is what we use and is great because you can use it anywhere at home or at the uh, office or anywhere on the road, Smart Advocate provides a legal case management software solution to help your firm. If you're interested in working with Smart Advocate, go to smartadvocate.com. And when you talk to them, tell them that folks at Elevate sent you and you'll get a discount only for our listeners. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Expert Institute. Not only will they find you testifying experts for your case, but they also offer an entire staff of in-house experts to help you strategize and prepare your case each step of the way. Go to expertinstitute.com forward slash elevate, and you'll get a 25% discount for our listeners for your first expert engagement. Our show is also brought to you by Smart Advocate. Smart Advocate is the top-rated legal case management software in the market. It's simple enough for the smallest practices and robust enough for the largest class action and multi-district litigation firms. Go to smartadvocate.com and again, ask for the discount available to the listeners of the Elevate podcast. Our show today is also brought to you by Hype Legal. Hype Legal is a boutique digital marketing firm for law firms. If you're feeling like you're in a digital marketing rut Perhaps you're tired of your old website, seeking something better. I would encourage you to talk to Tyler and Micah at Hype Legal. Tyler and Micah have been working in the legal space for 27 years combined. They both worked at High Impact, which is a firm that provides national trial graphics to lawyers, where they built out a highly successful marketing and digital platform for that company. Now they've started their own company to be a boutique marketing and design firm for high-end trial lawyers. I've worked with both Micah and Tyler for a long time, for Tyler for over a decade. They're incredibly professional, responsive, and have a real genius for aesthetics, design, and marketing. They designed our Elevate website and all of our graphics, which I think is really fantastic. Give them a call and check them out at hypelegal, H-Y-P-E-Legal.com. So welcome back. We're back with Don Keenan. Don, I wanted to ask you about what you're seeing in sort of cutting edge uh, developments in the trial practice and uh, changing views of juries, particularly in the last uh, year with COVID. Well, Ben, I could not have predicted even in the beginning of this thing, the Cirque du Soleil craziness of definitions of words, attribution stuck on its head. I mean, it's just been... Uh, you know, I, I had the uh, privilege in 92 to lead a delegation of American lawyers under a BOTUS flag to instruct the Russians how to do jury trials. We did 20 during the two-week period I was there. Uh, this is now reminiscent of it. You know, where are we going to swear to witnesses? Uh, where are we going to hold the documents? Uh, I mean, it, it, it has uh, shook up what we're doing. And I, I don't mean to tell you that there are some areas that, you know, I, I'm i not looking forward to going back because i got bad memories and I want to be strong. I want to be tough. Didn't lose the case, but didn't get enough that I thought was um, was worth it. But I, I do want to, this is, this is um, and Ben and I think we we're talking yesterday that the biggest friggin' mistake that lawyers make when they do focus groups is they don't do enough of them. 
you know, because I constantly get the question, well, you only did a focus group with 10 people. How's that going to be predictive of anything? Well, because we've done 20 of them, dickwad, and um, you don't have dickwads out in the West Coast there, bro? I think I, I think Raul knows. A few too many. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> um, but um, that's the deal, you know? And you're doing all your focus groups uh, virtually now? Absolutely. How is that going? It's, oh, man. It's as slick as owl shit. I mean, there's just, and you know, that's, if you know anything about owl shit, it's the slipperiest that there is out there. I mean, here it is Thursday. If I said, okay, I'm going to do a focus group with 15 people tomorrow, I can do it. In the past, when we were doing this live stuff, dragging people sometimes 60, 70 miles, ah, and food and everything else. I mean, the mechanics of doing focus groups have gone from a difficulty of about eight in person down to one. And we're constantly asking people, listen, would you rather do this Zoom focus group or in person? And I mean, it's running 90-10, okay? They don't see any need for it, the in-person stuff, okay? But this is what's happened. This is probably one of the most profound visualizations that I can give you about what the hell's going on out there. One of my most effective questions is, um, you know, we've been stuck, can't go anywhere for a year, get a little stir-crazy. had a lot of time to think. What did you learn about yourself that maybe we don't know? But give me one thing that was significant that you found out about yourself, and let's talk about it. Raul, this one, if you shut up and give them time to talk, man, you're talking about chilling down the corn, right down to the core. And with a little bit of help from follow-up questions, you can do it as well. And so here's what it does from an interpretive standpoint. You know, we've heard for years, haven't we, that, you know, the world's divided between givers and takers. I've come to believe that at the Trial Institute, where everybody is collaborating with one another, and everybody is knows that if they don't get run over by a truck, if they do graduate, they're going to be teaching. They're going to be giving back. And so this power of collaboration is just blows my uh, if I said head, it, you'd make some you make some damn bald joke, and that's not fair because I couldn't defend myself. So what has happened? This is one of many. The guy says, uh, "What did I learn about myself?" I said, "I'd learned I was a terrible, terrible father." Oh yeah, and a terrible husband. Why is that? I just got it wrong. I mean, uh, I thought working Saturdays and working, coming home, eating dinner, and Going back to work till 10. I thought I was being a good father. thought I was providing. The only thing I was providing was dysfunction and these poor kids get yanked around and it's terrible. I stopped. I had to stop because they wouldn't let me come into work. And then I learned the miracle of a family. Do you know every night we hold hands to do our little bit prayer? I didn't even do that when I was a kid. But here's the bottom line. I am more understanding of people. I'm more appreciative of. And then, because I've gotten rather good at it, and because I'm doing video, I'm doing Vordire focus groups every freaking week and sometimes twice, um, there is one question that I can whip around pretty good, and that is right at that point, I'll say, now, how are you going to do that? How are you going to change the arc of your life and make it about caring about other people? Okay. Somebody invariably will say, it's in the scriptures. What, what's there? What does it say? Well, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Ooh. 
Here's one thing I've always wondered about that. You got to go first, don't you? Okay. In order for you to get treated the way you want to get treated, you got to do it first. Now, how many think that's fair? I can get them talking 20, 30 minutes if I want to on the golden rule. Okay. More particularly what they do. Now, folks, we've talked about this golden rule and how it works, and there ain't no exceptions to it. Should the golden rule be something that we just slip on and slip off like a bunch of boots, huh? Or do you do it all time every day? Well, you got to do it all time. You mean to tell me in this courtroom? Do you? So y'all are going to start in this courtroom with this trial, with every possible thought that the plaintiff should be due that which she provides, the quid pro quo. Okay. Okay, Ben, what do you think? I think that's effective. I wonder if you use, you wouldn't use the term golden rule, no. assuming uh-huh. the voir dire process, because you get yourself into sure. hot water there. Sure. But. So do you, I, I guess just to follow up on that, when we were talking yesterday, you were mentioning that back in the 70s, when you'd go into a courtroom, there was a, pr- a presumption that the jurors you know, were there to help their uh, injured p- friend or colleague who was there seeking a, a verdict. That all kind of changed in the 80s with tort reform, and that's partially, I think, what inspired the, the reptile approach, which was to combat that hostility, uh, the kind of brainwashing that corporate America had done to our jury pools. Do you feel that with COVID, that's now the pendulum is swinging back in the good direction, or is it too early to know yet? Um, First of all, it depends on what tools the lawyer is willing to learn how to use and to, in fact, go into the the courtroom. Um, Now, I can tell you there's a couple factors going on here. First of all, the black cats are scared. You and I, Raul, we, we love uncertainty, huh? We love the adventure, you know. Three for the war. You think that's the POV of the black hat? Shit. Uh, he's got a little flap back there so that he can open up the back of his pants and do his do in the damn hat. That's, that's going to be his mindset, which means hit him hard, stay on him. Her, too. Now, um... I still think that um, lawyers just don't know what is in their voir dire law. They don't know how to craft up the right questions. They don't. And for some reason, lawyers always think that if something is worth doing, it's going to take gazillions of hours to do it. No, it's not. How long do you think it takes you to use the power words? Hmm? Doesn't take any time. And so don't act hysterical when one of your people sends you, oh, they're doing a mongoose, how to kill the reptile seminar. Man, just brush on by. It's not of any uh, consequence. Now, here, and I know, again, I'm hopping around, but I think we're covering some stuff here. The most important, gotta-have aspect. Foreseeability. Now, if you haven't been to the Black Letter Law Seminar, so we offer four times a year, twice per time. It's three days. And it has already illuminated the vision of many lawyers that did not understand the power of the law we've got in most states. So let me spend a minute on foreseeability. First of all, let's figure out how the hell did that thing come around here? You know, some 
somebody gets hurt and the plaintiff's lawyer files suit against the defendant. You bad hurt the client. And what did he say? He said, but it wasn't foreseeable. You know, I didn't expect the guy to be there. I didn't expect the lights would be out. I didn't expect, I didn't expect. And so the very first use of this was a proactive block to us establishing our case. So what have they done in relationship to the foreseeability? What they've done is they have broken down the statistic into almost a Dalbert motion. You know, where did these statistics come from? And what was the pool sample? And it's not reliable and it's not good enough to um, base opinions on. Holy shit. You got you a good statistic defense kicking. Oh, this is not right. This is not right. So if it's that toxic to the defense, you got to do it in Vordire opening as many witnesses as you can, and then clearly the closing, until you've mentioned the friggin' statistic 10 times easy. We also have to understand that we live in an entirely different form of communication. Just, you know, be logical for a minute. If you're watching television and you more likely than not get the same commercial, same one, three different times in an hour, it, would, it pisses me off. And I know it pisses off uh, Raul and, and uh, Ben. And I ragged on the CEO of Delta, who I knew, and I just said, you know, come on, give us some new commercials. He said, why? I said, because I'm tired of them. He says, they're working. They're working. So we can't lose sight of the repetition aspect of our power. Nothing ever floats out there one time and it's, oh, case over, shit, done. Sometimes the second act is, what was that? I heard that before. What the hell was that? Okay. And then maybe on a third go by, uh, you can bring it home. But um, this is where, um, you know, it kind of, well, it kind of makes me angry when somebody goes about copying something and it just kind of falls flat. For example, everybody knows that in all aspect of trial, there are times when we suspect Bubba just didn't get it. Bubba not paying attention. And we got to come back around. We got to do it. But we know to do it with a lighthouse phrase. Look, the simple truth is, the bottom line is, you need to know. There are 22 separate lighthouse phrases. I usually pick out seven or eight. I've got it on a piece of paper. And hey, when I'm looking for one, boom, I look down, there's a symbol. Got it. Now, this is a very sad case where, you know, there's a death for sure. But we also had to have the guts to say, well, while the focus group was very apologetic and sad, there ain't no liability in the story. So we're doing a lot of silly reinventing the wheel. I'm just forgetting down to damn trying cases some more, period. So I think we're ready to wrap it up. I know you, you already gave your uh, web address for people that are interested in your blog. If people are interested in uh, attending a Keenan Trial Institute course or something or or finding you uh to work with on a case uh how how do people go about finding you can you tell us uh, the email is d keenan k-e-e-n-a-n at keenan law firm so with that we'll wrap things up for the day thank you so much don keenan for coming on the show sharing all of your ideas wisdom and passion with us we look forward to seeing you soon in Florida. For all of our listeners, Raul and I will be back to you with a new episode in two weeks. Take care, everyone. 
For more information about today's guests and the topics discussed on the show, please visit our website at www.elevate.net. That's E-L-A-W-B-A-T-E.net, where you'll find guest profiles and show notes, and you can continue the conversation by joining our Facebook group. And if you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you'll subscribe and consider giving us a five-star review. So for now, keep on working to elevate your trial law practice, and we'll see you back again soon.